All right, Hebrews chapter 1. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. <clears throat> Hebrews. I've been looking forward to getting into Hebrews. 13 chapters. We're going to take a look at three verses in, in chapter 1. I hope, God willing, this will carry us all the way through this year as we walk through 2022 with Hebrews giving us great support and encouragement and strength for the weeks that we have to face ahead. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1, 2, and 3. Grass with us and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there, verse 1. <clears throat> Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Keep going having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Join me as we pray. Father, we need your help. This church, we need your help. The, the men and women, boys and girls in this church, help us. Father, I need you to make it so that the words of my mouth, that you would anoint even the, the lips of my mouth, that you anoint my mouth to say that which is honoring to your name and good for your people. Lord, we're under pressure, and we need you to help us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Has there ever been another book like the book of Hebrews? We don't know who wrote it. We don't know who it's to. <laughs> Although a lot of you have put pressure on me to figure out. I don't know who wrote it. We don't know who it's to. We are not even sure of the occasion. What prompted this to be written to the group of people that received it? We don't know when. What we do know is if you read it, 13 chapters, Hebrews strips away the mud and the muck of this hard world and gets our eyes up and puts our eyes on the excellencies of the crucified, resurrected Jesus. Let's start first with the author. Who could the author have been? The author could have been Luke. Luke wrote uh, the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. He is a man of detail. You read his writings. There is such detail in Luke's writings. Here in Hebrews we find wonderful detail. And some people have thought Luke wrote the book of Hebrews. Others have thought that Apollos wrote it. Apollos, we are in, introduced to him in Acts. He is the man with such eloquence and soaring rhetoric. He knows how to say things and put things. And the Greek in Hebrews is so stylized and so good, lots of people over the years have thought that Apollos wrote it. Some have even reached into church history and thought maybe Barnabas 
Because we don't know if it's a letter, if it's a sermon. What is the book of Hebrews? Maybe Barnabas, because it's so encouraging to get your eyes up on Christ. Maybe Barnabas wrote it. A lot of people over the years have assumed, this was early on, that the apostle Paul, because it's so deep theologically. If, if Romans is the most theological, Hebrews is a really close second. And the book ends with a reference to Timothy, which Paul oftentimes did. We don't know who it was. Whoever ultimately wrote the book, we have to join Origen, who in the third century said, only God knows. Whoever wrote it knew the Old Testament 35 times. It, it, he didn't, now, remember, he didn't have Google. You can look verses up. 35 times he quotes the Old Testament in this little book. Whenever it was written, it had to be written before A.D. 70. A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed. This book is written as if it's written during a time when the sacrifices in the temple are still going on. To whom it was written? It had to be most likely Jewish Christians because the writer is writing to people that would know the Old Testament. He's writing as if they know what he's talking about. In addition to that, the most reliable manuscripts that we find in Greek in this book are entitled to the Hebrews. It is significant that the first subject of the book is God. The writer tells us long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke. He starts off at the very front end to get our eyes on God. This afternoon, if you take this book and you put it in your lap and you sit down to read the book of Hebrews in one seat, a sitting, take you about an hour and a half, it's striking how often the author takes God and puts God right in front of our eyes 68 times, one every once every 23 words, the author mentions God. It's like a metronome to keep you moving the rhythm of the song, God. There's no other New Testament book so saturated with God. The book of Hebrews settles up front <clears throat> the very important issues of the day. The book of Hebrews settles for us the person and the work and the supremacy of Christ Jesus. And the first three verses, what we're covering today, the first three verses of this little book are some of the most remarkable verses in the entire Bible. Because whoever got this the first time, it was written because the people were under pressure. We can identify with that. We don't know where the church was. Maybe it was in Rome. And the people there in the little church in Rome were under such pressure from the Roman government and that madman Nero. Maybe that's what they were suffering under. We really don't know. Or possibly the church in Jerusalem where all the Jews were centered around the temple. And here's this little Christian church struggling because they had family members that didn't understand their new religion. If you're a Christian and you have family members that are not Christians, you understand what that feels like. Or, or maybe, maybe they were Christians that were struggling to come up out from underneath the 
the weight of tradition. It's hard to break out of tradition. Or possibly they lived in a society like ours. I think this is why Hebrews is going to be so important for us. Living in a society that is constantly calling on you to compromise. That, that's the pressure that all of us are facing, that you are facing. It is the constant pressure for you to compromise what you believe to be true. I see it in my news feed. I go on social media and there in Twitter, the news feed comes through. Just randomly watching yesterday. Here comes the news feed to, to describe a swim meet, a women's swim meet between Penn State and Yale University and the transgender male swimming for Penn State was beaten by the transgender swimming for Yale University in a women's swim, and just comes through your newsfeed like that's the normal thing. So that changing what is normal to pressure you to compromise, to compromise our Christian views, our Christian views on gender, our Christian views on marriage, our Christian views on sexuality, our Christian views on parenting, our Christian views on education, and eventually it'll come to our, even our Christian views on worship. That's why in the coming year, we're going into a hard year. What's going on in Canada will finally come down the United States. We're going into a hard year. And it's going to be so important for us to live convictionally under the constant pressure of a world that actually hates our God. I, I want you to... Read this and have your soul ministered. I want you to draw strength from this little book. I want you to be encouraged. I, I want you to be able to stand with joyful conviction because of what's inside this little book. I want, let's say it like this. I want you to keep your eyes on God and trust his ways. I want you to keep your eyes this year on God and trust his ways. Two things I want to point out. I just got two points today. Two things I want to point out in verses 1, 2, and 3. The first one is that God speaks. The second one is that God saves. Let's begin with God speaks. God speaks. Our God is not silent. He is not aloof. He is not unconcerned. He is not directionless. He did not create the world, put it into motion, stand back and watch. From the very beginning, our God is a God who speaks to his people, communicates with his people. In the Garden of Eden, God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, fellowship with his people. Look how the author begins in, in verse 1. Long ago at many times and in many ways, what did God do? God spoke. He spoke to the fathers through the prophets. God speaks. Before the author takes us forward, he makes us turn around and look at the history of our God, and the history of our God is that He is communicative. He communicates with His people. He does not hide from His people. God takes the, the initiative in revealing. In fact, this is how we describe it. We describe it as revelation. God revealing Himself. When I say revelation, I don't mean the book of Revelation. I mean that God shows Himself to us. We categorize Revelation in two areas. 
we call general revelation and specific revelation. General revelation is looking around, seeing creation, understanding providence, that God is moving all things together. The general revelation is a conscience. All of us have a conscience. God put it there. But the writer here in Hebrews takes us very quickly past general and right into specific revelation. He tells us in verse 1 that God spoke specifically through the prophets. He spoke to the men and women before us through mouth, through prophets, through men who recorded it, wrote it down. We have a written record of God revealing himself. You can go back to the Old Testament. You can read the stories that have been recorded for us to see God revealing himself. Marvelous stories of God speaking through dreams and visions and angels and a burning bush and a floating axe head and Balaam's donkey. Go and read the story of David and Saul and Samuel and, and how God even spoke to the witch of Endor. But the writer here presses the, the topic even further to say that it is a, not just God, it is, a, it is a written record. That the prophets that God used to speak wrote it down for us. We have in Genesis and Exodus the story of creation. There in Exodus you have Moses in the burning bush. You can read about Elijah in the still small voice. You, Isaiah, it was written down for us when Isaiah saw in the temple. You go to Hosea and you see this God speaking through an unfaithful wife written down for us. Amos, God speaks in a, a basket of summer fruit written down for us. Gideon, don't throw a fleece out. And Gideon, God spoke through a fleece written down for us. And when you read that, you find out that the author here is, is laying a foundation. He's going to great lengths to tell of the veracity and the authority of the Old Testament, which then points us to the next clause in this really long sentence. Go back and read it. Look, now let's put them together. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets, Old Testament. But now, in these last days, Paul's last days, since the resurrection and ascension of Jesus into heaven, we now live in the last days. So, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. What the author is now, he's brought us up to present day, and he said, in Jesus, the new messianic age has appeared, and there's continuity. See it in verse 1, the continuity between the Old Testament, God spoke, and the New Testament, God speaks. And you bring them together, there's continuity, and it is God Old Testament, New Testament, speaking to his people and bringing them, driving us to Jesus so that you keep your eyes on God and you trust his ways. And his ways are given to us in the Bible. You might say it like this. At the Old Testament, the Old Testament prepares the way for the New Testament. The promises in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament. 
And here the author begins this little book with one statement of fact, God has spoken. Now, brothers and sisters, let's pause right here because we need to, we need to get all of this right and help clear up uh, any nonsense that we run up on. And a whole lot of nonsense in the Christian world, especially in the evangelical Christian world. There's lots of talk of God told me. Or, or someone comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord for you. God has given me a word. Unless they are quoting the Bible, there's no guarantee that that word is true. Somebody comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord. It needs to be a direct quote from the Bible. But let's see if we can put it another way. We need to make sure we don't flirt with direct revelation. Direct revelation would be God giving me something and then me tell it like I become the actual mouthpiece with the same authority as the Bible. That's direct revelation. You've got to be careful with, um, even with devotionals. There's a very popular devotional. A lot of you here probably have that devotional called Jesus Calling. It's popular because there's so much of it that is true. The problem I have with the devotional is that it's written in such a way as if it is God actually speaking. We already have a book that God speaks to us through. It's the Bible. I was uh, watching preaching this week. I sometimes will do that and listen to a preacher, and I thought I was going to come through the computer screen. I I mean, I I thought I was going to break it in my office. Because the preacher said, <clears throat> told his church this. He said, uh, you, you need to position yourself. Position yourself to hear from God. Now, I don't know what that means. Am I supposed to look for some sort of portal that God speaks through? What is the position? Do I need to be in downward dog? What is the position? That God speaks to me. Let me tell you what the position is. You take one forearm and you put it beside this side of the Bible and another forearm and you do this right here and you put your face in this book. Then you will hear from God. That's the position you hear from God. Because if God has spoken, according to what the writer says, if God has spoken to us through the prophets, He spoke to the fathers like that, Old Testament. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, New Testament. Then what we need to know for our life is found here. You need a direction in your life, you'll find it in the Bible. When you have the mind of the Bible, you have the mind of God because it's revealed to us. You're dealing with sadness, you'll find the antidote here in the Bible. Thinking through how do I have the right marriage, flip over to Ephesians chapter 5, memorize that chapter, and there you have guide for your marriage. You're thinking about moving to another town, taking another job, and you're wondering how to make that decision, and the Bible doesn't directly relate or doesn't point you directly, but you've been reading it, and you've found a way to prioritize in a way that gives honor to God. You finally have to make a decision with your sanctified conscience, and, and you can... Because the Bible presents God as sovereign over all things, you can make a decision and it'd be the wrong decision and God still take you through something that gives Him glory and good for your family. That's what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that there's purpose and hope and 
forgiveness. The Bible teaches us the gospel. This is where we learn that God is holy and we are sinners and God loves sinners gives us Jesus who lived perfectly and died on the cross in the place of sinners. Here's the gospel. God raised him from the dead and the way we appropriate that information is by him giving it to us and us believing, being saved. What you find here is the, the, the author of Hebrews lays down this first point, God speaks. But he gives us the second point, Starts in verse 2 and go all the way to verse 3. Here's the second point, and that is that God saves. If God speaks, it's true, but he speaks to us and drives us to Christ. God saves. Now, I want to just confess on the front end, I have two, a two-point sermon, but this second point has seven sub-points. But there's a reason behind that. Um, I had to do it like that. You'll see it as, as we read it. Let's just go back and let me just look at You'll see what I'm talking about. Let me read it to you, verse 2. Let's start in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in the last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And here come the seven. Whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. And when he, after He'd made purification of sins... He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. You know why we don't think Paul wrote this? There's no salutation. There's no greeting. There's no explanation of who this is to and who it's from. There's no description of him being in prison on the front end. We're two verses in, and the author takes us immediately to Christ. It's as if he's saying, here, you don't need eight steps you don't need a motivational speech. You're going into the cauldron, and you need to see Christ. And, and to press the point, here's what he does, does in verse 2 and 3. He rattles off seven glorious facts about the Lord Jesus, seven being the number of perfection. It's as if he's just reiterating how God saves perfectly in Jesus. Let's, let's, um, <clears throat> let's take a look at them. All seven, let's see how to apply them, if we can. I want you to see, first of all, his dignity. Do you see in verse 2, at the end of verse 2, that he, Jesus, is appointed heir. He is the heir of all things. Jesus Christ has the supreme place in the entire universe. Here you have described for us divine royalty. This is what uh, Paul said in Colossians, that, uh, that all things... All things were created for him. With a more poetic flair in Romans chapter 11, it, it, it's like a poem. Romans 11 verse 36, when he talks about this very same thing, Paul says, for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory. Revelation chapter 5, when we see the exalted Jesus, he has the scroll in his hand. It is the title deed to the universe. And the writer in Hebrews says, I know you're under pressure. The point he's making is don't fall back. Don't compromise. Don't let up. Look at this Jesus. He deserves your unbridled, joyful 
allegiance. You see, he is the heir of all things. Paul will pick this up, Romans 8, 17. He'll say at the cross, not only is Jesus the heir of all things, but because of the cross, we become joint heirs with Jesus. Stand fast. Stand fast. Uh, you, you see his dignity. Let me show you how he gives us security. Verse 2. Verse 2, you find out that he has been appointed, God appointed him heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. God created the world through Jesus. We've just come off, we've just come off Christmas we had the Christmas story in Luke. You see it in Matthew. We also go to the book of John. There in John chapter 1 describes the incarnation. And we're told there in John 1 verses 2 and 3 that, that Jesus, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. The Apostle Paul gives us an even uh, more theological view. Colossians 1:16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. You know what you do? You take all of that and it gives you great confidence and security that there is nothing that you face, there is nothing that is outside of Christ's control and usefulness and purpose in your life for his glory and your growth. You, you can walk out of here with confidence. You can face what you have to face because of this description that he is, by him, God created the universe. Not only that, read verse 3 and you find out that he outshines. Jesus outshines whatever glitter the world has put in front of you. He outshines everything. Verse 3 tells us that he, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God. The old translations used to say the effulgence of the glory of God, but nobody knows what that means, the radiance of the glory of God. That Jesus is the holiness of God turned outward on full display. The love of God our triune God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and perfect fellowship and love that has been turned outward. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. We see little glimpses of that in Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration. There they saw Jesus changed in front of them so bright. You read about it in, in Acts chapter 9. Saul on the road to Damascus and the exalted Lord Jesus appears to him so bright it knocks him to the ground. Here is Jesus, Jesus as God's glory personified and given to us. We read about the Shekinah glory that God allowed Moses to see to the degree that Moses glowed. That Shekinah glory that made Moses' face glow is the glory that saves our souls. This is God with us. Emmanuel, that by his spirit in us. You see, and the author's saying, you look at Christ and a life that is lived for God's glory 
is a life that is lived in submission to Christ. Why do we submit to Christ? It's because he is God. You see what this verse is telling us? That he is God. So what the text says in verse 3, that he is the exact imprint of his nature. That phrase, exact imprint, is like a die stamping a coin out. You have a picture of it. It's a perfect picture. But it's even more than that. It, he is the exact imprint of his nature, the, the essence of what makes God, God. Jesus is the godness of God. Paul will say that he is, that, that in him the, all the fullness, all the fullness of what it means to be God came in bodily form. John 14, Jesus told Philip, Look, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But what God essentially is, is in Christ. This has been a hard thing for, for us to really think through. It's theological. Even the church fathers, early on in Christianity, trying to outline what is orthodox Christianity and what is not, what is heresy. That's why we have creeds. The Apostles' Creed gives us orthodox Christianity. That's why we have the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed hammering out who Jesus is. And they tried so hard talking about the divinity of Christ. They're having a hard time. Go and read the Nicene Creed. And what the church fathers came up with is that he is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. That he is the power, right here, is the power of the gospel. How? Because we don't just put our faith in someone who's a great leader. Christianity is not you just being called just to follow Jesus. You have to be careful saying that. It's not just you getting your life right so that you're more like Jesus. It's not just you imitating Jesus. That, that certainly is true. We want to imitate, but there's more to it. I mean, a really good Muslim can do that. This is where we, we part. This is where every other... Religion hates it. This is where Muslims will be angry. Because we are not just saying that Jesus is a prophet. We are saying he is God. The author is saying, look, this is what's going to carry you through, that he is the radiance of his glory, that Jesus is the exact representation of God. That you're not just following a guru to learn from, but you have been brought from being dead in sin to being alive in Christ by the one who is the exact imprint of God's nature. Now, he saves us for a reason. Look at it. He's taken us, he's taken us somewhere. Verse 3 tells us that, um, that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the ages. A good way to understand it, he, he, the enabling power of his word that he, uh, the old preachers used to call this the administration of Jesus, that he is going somewhere. When we think about um, someone upholding the world, you might get in your mind old man Atlas holding up the world with the globe on his back and just hunkered down. We even know that uh, in our idioms, we may say to a brother or sister, you look like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. We say that because they look like they have been beaten down. That's not the idea right here in this passage. 
The image here is the administration that is that he has the ages, the word universe. It's the ages from past to present to what's future. And the idea of upholding is going somewhere, that there is a plan and a purpose and a direction. There is momentum. He is taking your life somewhere. And he's doing that, according to verse 3, by his enabling word, by the power of his word. It is the word of God. Your life, even if it doesn't feel like it, your life is going somewhere. It has direction. It has purpose. But all of that is found in Christ. You see, he is our only hope. Isn't that what he says in verse 3? Circle it. It's, it's the central phrase and the central verse in this entire book. After he had made purification for sins. Here's the centerpiece of the, of the most important verse in the entire book of Hebrews. It gives us the, the theme of the book of Hebrews. All throughout this book in Hebrews, the author, sit down and read it today. All throughout, the author is trying to make sure that we see that Jesus has accomplished this many-sided salvation. Hebrews tells us that, that Christ has redeemed us from sin, that he has annulled sin, that he is the propitiation for sin, that he brought about the remission of sin, that he bore our sin, that he, Hebrews says that he put our sin so far away that God remembers them no more. This book pulsates with a reminder that whatever has to be done about sin, Christ has done it. That our holy God, who's wrathful and hates sin, has determined to judge sin, has placed that judgment on his son Jesus once and for all at the cross. And as a sign of victory and at work, God raised him from the dead. And the way you appropriate, the way that becomes yours is that he gives you the grace to believe. And you believe. Why do you believe? Because Jesus Christ is Lord. Isn't that what verse 3 says? After having made purification of sins, you see it? That he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. Sat down. In the temple, the priest would keep standing because he's got work to do. You have to get everything done. Jesus sat down. In the, pre, in, the, in the temple, the priest's work was never done. The task was never complete. Jesus completed. Why did he sit down? Finished work of Jesus. Sat down, keep looking at it, at the right hand of majesty. The honored position. Why? Because he is Lord. He sat down at the right hand of majesty, reminding us that all authority has been given to him and he is Lord. He sat down at the right hand of majesty on high so that he might become intercessor, interceding for his people because he is Lord. Over and over again this year, our eyes will be cast upward 
to the Lordship of Jesus that gives us hope and security and strength and joy. I want you to keep your eyes on God and trust his ways. God speaks, God saves, and he does it in Jesus. I want to close our time out with a word of prayer, and before we go, we're going to sing a song of worship, giving thanks to God, looking forward to a good week of serving the Lord, keeping our eyes on Christ. With your heads bowed this morning, let's go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. And as we do, I just want to put before you, this last worship song, if you'd like to come forward and have a pastor to pray with you or just to pray for you, that's a great time to do that. Maybe you've been struggling with some sin you can't just get victory over. You need to come and just pray. We would invite you to come and do that. Maybe you're not sure of what it means to actually be a Christian. You, you heard it. Uh, described a couple of times in the sermon, but you don't have a grasp on it, you'd like to talk further, when we sing, we would invite you just to come forward. Maybe you want to come and give your life to Christ and start 2022 with your eyes on Jesus. God has spoken to you through his word. We invite you to respond. Father, thank you for the word you've given us. Thank you for the grace to read it. Pray you would strengthen the hearts of your people that you're honored with us. Lord, find us faithful this week. We seek to live as men and women for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand, please, as we sing together?